This is Transcend with Nat, where we're discovering our higher purpose, sharing stories and awarenesses along the path of transcendence. Hi, and welcome to Transcend with Nat. This is Nat. I'm your host. And today I'm going to be doing an in-depth dive uh, on what is going on in the world today and how we can look at it from that place of a higher transcendent perspective, how we can move ourselves there, as well as looking at different, so many different levels of how to view this um, and the choices we can make and the solutions we can make from a higher perspective. Uh, It's been something that I've been seeing, I've been talking to others, and There's a lot of people who are having a very challenging time right now who have been greatly affected by the changes that are taking place in our world today. So I've been really sourcing inside because I too can get swept up in this current. And it is very easy because we're all, in a sense, on this dealing with this um, strong current of what is taking place. And that current can move us and to maintain our own balance and integrity as we walk through these times can be a challenge. And there's a lot of opportunity for growth and for moving into that higher perspective and to relate to the world and to others in a higher way, in a greater way, so that we can be those who hold the light, who hold the loving, who hold the caring and compassion for our fellow human beings and for this planet as we go through the changes that we're going through. It's one of those time periods where I personally have my own viewpoints. I have my own karma. I have my own opinions. And to really move beyond those to come into a greater place of a higher view of looking at things, even for moments at a time, is something that at times can be very challenging, especially in looking at how to express all these different viewpoints and all these different perspectives with you. Simplicity is one of those things that I really go for in terms of the clarity of the information I'm giving. Actually, there's I'm going to be using a lot of quotes from a lot of different people and some excerpts from books and things that I have found valuable and that I also think, you know, has been said very well throughout history from different people. And so when it comes to how I look at sharing this information and the simplicity I came across this Steve Jobs quote, which I really liked in terms of that. It says, that's been one of my mantras, focus and simplicity. Simple can be harder than complex. You have to work hard to get your thinking clean and make it simple. But it's worth it in the end because once you get there, you can move mountains. So one of the things that I will do my best here, but it is such a complex look, because we're looking at everything that is going on right now. So I'm going to start with the transcendent consciousness. And 
what that really is, is being able to move your awareness beyond the karma, beyond, which we'll get into in greater detail, which is the karma of what's going on. But to get above the fields of right and wrong, as Rumi put it, um, moving beyond the ideas of right and wrong into that, into Rumi's field, and to move beyond the the situations. And I know that right now they can be very personal and, and it can be very triggering because there's so much fear out there um, and survival instincts kick in. And in that place, it can be difficult to move into that higher awareness, that open awareness, because you must let go of all the things of this material lower world inside of you and let go of your opinions and let go of your thinking about what's going on to move into that place. So I'm going to start by reading something from The Prophet by Khalil Gibran, which I find reading his words often can move me and move that convergence point within me. So it says, And an orator said, Speak to us of freedom. And he answered, At the city gate and by your fireside, I have seen you prostrate yourself and worship your own freedom. Even as slaves humble themselves before a tyrant and praise him though he slays them. I, in the grove of the temple and in the shadow of the citadel, I have seen the freest among you wear their freedom as a yoke and a handcuff. And my heart bled within me, for you can only be free when even the desire of seeking freedom becomes a harness to you, and when you cease to speak of freedom as a goal and a fulfillment. You shall be free indeed when your days are not without a care, nor your nights without a want and a grief, but rather when these things girdle your life, and yet you rise above them naked and unbound. And how shall you rise beyond your days and nights unless you break the chains which you at the dawn of your understanding have fastened around your noon hour? In truth, that which you call freedom is the strongest of these chains. Though its links glitter in the sun and dazzle your eyes, and what is it but fragments of your own self you would discard that you may become free? If it is an unjust law you wish to abolish, that law was written with your own hand upon your own forehead. You cannot erase it by burning your law books nor by washing the foreheads of your judges, though you pour the sea upon them. And if it is a despot that you would dethrone, see first that his throne erected within you is destroyed. For how can a tyrant rule the free and the proud, but for a tyranny in their own freedom and a shame in their own pride? And if it is a care you would cast off, that care has been chosen by you rather than imposed upon you. And if it is a fear you would dispel, the seat that fear is in your heart and not in the hand of the feared. 
Verily, all things move within your being in constant half-embrace, the desired and the dreaded, the repugnant and the cherished, the pursued and that which you would escape. These things move within you as lights and shadows in pairs that cling. And when the shadow fades and is no more, the light that lingers becomes a shadow to another light. And thus your freedom, when it loses its fetters, becomes itself the fetter of a greater freedom. So to me, that really moves the viewpoint into the transcendent. Um, Because we can argue about freedom, about safety, about whatever is important to you on this level. And if you want to move into that transcendent consciousness, it is something where you find that freedom within you. And like he was saying, it's not out here that you can really truly affect change. It is within you. First, you must be free inside of you. And if you have that freedom inside of you, and that freedom towards all that is taking place in the world right now, if you are free, then no one can truly take that freedom away. They may control your body, but they cannot shift that transcendent freedom if you maintain that. There's something that Buddha said, This existence of ours is as transient as autumn clouds. To watch the birth and death of beings is like looking at the movements of a dance. A lifetime is a flash of lightning in the sky, rushing by like a torrent down a steep mountain. And I think that that's something to keep in mind, that this life is so short. It is a flash in the eye. As Buddha said, a flash of lightning. And to move your perspective in that way, to see this life for what it is and to reevaluate what is important to you um, and, and to look at that from the transcendent. In this podcast, we're talking about the transcendent nature of our being and that ability to move beyond what is taking place, um, which is the great preparation for death, for the beyond, and it is a great, a much greater way in terms of what I found to live more in that perspective. So we're going to move now into uh, the discussion about karma, about what's taking pl- place right now. And the first premise in how I view it is the world is perfect exactly like it is. And I know that's a really controversial view of things and really against the common narrative that this world is really bad and this world is horrible and and all of those things. And it depends on the view that you're taking. So one of the things that I look at is there's various levels of karma. And karma really is just those creations that we've created that may be incomplete, those lessons that we are here to learn 
from the solic perspective, from that part of us that is uh, that divine essence, that is that creator, that as we create, those creations are returned to us, and that's the learning process from which we learn in an experiential way, not necessarily in a mental way, but we learn and have the experiences of being a co-creator with the divine, with God, with that essence that is within us, that is that uh, originator of all things. And it's one thing to start to recognize our own karma, that own process of everything that is taking place in our lives is based on what we have created and what we are responsible for. Um, And then there's also levels of local karma, family karma, regional karma, country karma, planetary karma, and beyond. And so when we start discussing these things, there can be a society that may have created through their actions in total certain, let's call it, energy fields that need to come to completion. And sometimes those come to completion in various ways, and sometimes those ways are very unpleasant to experience. Another way of looking at this is this world is a classroom, and we are here to learn, and it is the perfect setup for us to learn. You know, I'm going to present a lot of things here today that you don't have to believe, nor do you have to disbelieve. You know, I would just suggest have an open mind and an open consciousness and look for yourself and move your awareness to the higher awareness. And as you do that, you know, see what you see um, and see if this is true for you, if it resonates for you. And in the meantime, until you can see the full picture of the perfection of this world, you can keep it to yourself and recognizing that everything here is here for your growth, is here for your upliftment, for your strengthening, and for your completion of those things that you have put into motion, and for your learning in a higher way of that process of creation. And the beautiful thing about that is that as you recognize, as you start to see, and as you start to shift your view that all things are for your upliftment, learning, and growth, and you can use all things for that, and as you start to see that what is coming to you is really for you and for that completion of your karma, that you can then take personal full radical responsibility of your life and that is where in my experience you can find the greatest freedom because you're no longer a victim to the world you have taken full responsibility of everything that is happening in your life and that gives you the ability to respond in the way that is the highest way you possibly can. So um, as we look, because we are being affected more and more by our group karma, our planetary karma, 
um, the earth changes, uh, the changes that are taking place in, at a societal level, um, the things that are happening. So one of the things I'm going to quote, uh, there's a quote from Abraham Lincoln. It's from Meditation on the Divine Will, and it says, I am almost ready to say that God wills this contest and wills that it shall not end yet. And that was in the middle of the Civil War. And obviously that the level of death and destruction from the readings I've done on Lincoln weighed heavy on his heart and the fact that it just kept going. And at, there was a point during, um, right after Gettysburg and Vicksburg, and I believe it may have been General Meade, I think, uh, if my history is correct and my memory is correct, but I'm sure one of you can correct me if I'm wrong. You can write to me. And by the way, you can always write to me at nat at transcend.online. That's my website. I mean, that's my uh, email. And you can just go to my website, transcend.online. And there's a contact form there also that you can write me at. I believe it's General Meade who is in charge. And Lincoln had, uh, right after that Battle of Gettysburg, there was an opportunity to for the Union side to end the war um, because they had they had the upper hand. And Lincoln knew this and he commanded, he sent orders according to the record, although they never found the actual orders, that they were supposed to press on and end the war. And um, for whatever reason, whether those orders weren't received or they were disregarded, that didn't happen, and that really, really upset Abraham Lincoln um, because he realized that the war then, because the Confederacy were able to, Lee's army was able to uh, go back across the Potomac and get to their defensive position again, that that would prolong the war for an indefinite amount of time. And that weighed very heavily on him because it was like they had the opportunity for success to end this contest. And to look at it as, as something that the karma of that had been created had to be worked out. And it had to be worked out in this civil war. And it wasn't, it was like, as that quote stated, like this had to play out in God's timing and not in the timing that Lincoln necessarily wanted. And I think that that's something to keep in mind that there is sometimes as the karma is going through and working through, and to create a freedom from a certain karma, sometimes you have to allow it to play out. And that creates a completion so that that karma is no longer on the people. And, and on that society. And so this karma had to play out. And just as we are in today, and the way I see it, is the karma needs to play out. And we can hold the light, we can hold for the highest good to take place, and yet the karma needs to play out. And we are in a specific time period that it's really on purpose for what is taking place in a higher level. 
And it's really unpleasant, too, for certain people. And certain people, it's fine, though I think everyone is feeling at a psychic level, at a basic self-level, what's going on in the world. And they can feel the discord that is taking place. And, and so one of the things that's going on from how I see it is that this is truly on purpose for where we are in the cycles. And I do, ha- do view how things take place in cycles. And even in my investing and my looking at, at charts in terms of technical analysis and things like that, when I'm investing, I look at how there's different cycles for different asset classes. And you can see cycles everywhere when you start to look. And there's even in the Bible, there's uh, Ecclesiastes has something on that. And I'm sure most people are actually familiar with that. And let me see if I can pull that up. And that is in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And there's a song in the 60s, to everything, turn, 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 there's a season, uh, which comes from that Bible verse as far as I can tell. And the idea is that there are seasons, that there are cycles, and there are smaller cycles, and there are bigger cycles. Like I said, there's cycles on asset classes, um, there's cycles of war, um, there are spiritual epics and cycles that we talk about coming into the new age, there's the changing of the yuga, there's whole energy uh, consciousness that happen every 25,000 years, which just came onto the planet and left. And there's different cycles in history that, that take place. And one of those that I thought was really good was in The Fourth Turning. The Fourth Turning is a book that was written in the 90s talking about what was going to take place in terms of how they were looking at the cycles of generations of history. I thought that that was a great book when I read it, and it has been, it is tracked pretty accurately uh, with what's taken place. And I'll actually, let me read to you from a uh, excerpt from that, because I think that um, it was fairly accurate on its timing, you know, give and take some years. But it says, the fourth turning is due to begin shortly after the new millennia, midway through the double O decade, Around the year 2005, a sudden spark will catalyze a crisis mood. Remnants of old social order will disintegrate. Political and economic trust will implode. Real hardship will beset the land with severe distress that could involve questions of class, race, nation, and empire. Yet this time of trouble will bring seeds of social rebirth. Americans will share a regret about recent mistakes and a resolute new consensus about what to do. The very survival of the nation will feel at stake. Sometime before the year 2025, America will pass through a great gate in history, commensurate with the American Revolution, Civil War, and twin emergencies of the Great Depression and World War II. 
The risk of catastrophe will be very high. The nation could erupt in insurrection or civil violence, crack up geographically, or succumb to authoritarian rule. If there is a war, it will likely to be one of maximum risk and effort, in other words, a total war. And then later on, thus might the fourth, the next fourth turning end in an apocalypse or glory. The nation could be ruined, its democracy destroyed, and millions of people scattered or killed. Or America could enter a new golden age, triumphantly applying shared values to improve the human condition. The rhythms of history do not reveal the outcome of the coming crisis. All they suggest is the timing and dimension. We cannot stop the seasons of history, but we can prepare for them. Right now in 1997, <laughs> way back, uh, we have eight, ten, perhaps a dozen years to get ready. Then events will begin to take choices out of our hands. Yes, winter is coming, but our path through the winter is up to us. History's howling storms can bring out the worst and best in a society. The next fourth turning could literally destroy us as a nation and people, leaving us cursed in the histories of those who endure and remember. Alternatively, it could ennoble our lives, elevate us as a community, and inspire acts of consummate heroism, deeds that will grow into myth-like legends recited by our heirs far into the future. So that was written back in the 90s, and I think that, you know, depending on, I've looked at others who have studied cycles, and th this was simply uh, based on cycles of generations in history and going through history and finding the various cycles. And there are different cycles. I've listened to others who think that the cycle will be going through 2032, um, it depends, and long before that, even in the 70s, 80s, um, there's definitely been spiritual teachers, including my own, who discuss the time period we're in as one of great difficulty. So there's definitely something about this time period. Now there's a quote by Thomas Carlyle I really like. It says, no pressure, no diamonds. And so one of the things to look at during this time is that it is an opportunity for each one of us to live more fully in the integrity, in the higher consciousness, in finding what is true for us and living in that more fully and being an example in the world of that which we would like the world to reflect back to us. It is an amazing time to be alive, and that also means it is, could be a very difficult time, depending on your karma with everything that is going on. There's been things that have taken place spiritually during this shift over this ending of a cycle and beginning of a new one, which we're in that process. And this takes time to play out. Um, and spiritually, things generally, from my experience, take place in spirit. Wars are fought in spirit before they manifest here. So the things that are happening here on this planet uh, are in a lot of ways a reflection of things that have already taken place in other levels. 
And one of a lot of the work, the spiritual work that I was involved with for many years with my teacher, from my experience of it was really a completing of old energy fields and laying down the tracks for many generations to come of of this new energy coming into the planet now. And that still is taking place in terms of this new uh, energy field and this new spiritual energy field that is taking place for, for what's to come. So one of the things to do in all of this is that intercessory work. And as we reference back to that Khalil Gibran quote uh, that really reflects to us that we need to move inside of ourselves. So whatever, whatever you see in the world as a problem, whatever you see in the world that you think needs changing, first look within yourself and change it within yourself and free yourself of those things that have enslaved you and those karmas that create disturbance in your own life. And in doing that, as you do that more in your life, as you do that more inside of you, that begins to emanate out from you into your near community, your family, your community, and that can affect others. And that is how we shift things in this world, is to really start with yourself first. So we look at what's going on in the world. We look at what's taking place in terms, and we'll get even more into the weeds here shortly. I know this is going to be an in-depth, a long episode. And so one of the things that that we're going to get into now is like more of what the karmas are that are playing out right now, at least from as far as I can see. Um, And one of the things to keep in mind is that what we view as um, bad or good may just be a failure in our having the higher perspective on that. I'm going to read something from The Sign of the Times, which is from by John Roger. It's a very old book. I think it was done maybe in the maybe the seventies. Let's actually let me look here. Oh, eighty-one was the copyright, so it was done many, many years ago. But it was an interview that was created into a book. And he started talking, he was questioned about the Vietnam War. And I think his answer could definitely be looked at and applied to how we might be viewing what's going on now. The question was, on a more epic level, what about the Vietnam War, for instance? So many of us judged that as incorrect and participated in demonstrations saying that our country's actions were incorrect. What about that type of thing? JR said, if the Vietnam War was really incorrect, and you know that, then you can also tell me if it's all right for your neighbor two blocks down the street to be dating the girl he's dating. It's not quite as epic, but if you can know what's right for all the Vietnamese people, surely you can tell me what's right for your neighbor two blocks away. And if you say, I don't know that, I can't tell, then how can you tell about Vietnam? You might say, well, my view was based upon reasoning and emotion and that killing is wrong and all that. But you have only judged that on a period of 10 or 20 or 30 years. 
Let's look at the Vietnamese people for the last 3,000 periods of their existence. As a collective group, they may have gotten exactly what they created for themselves, and they may have balanced all their karma. Now, is it bad for them to be karmically free of all of that? Is that wrong? Perhaps that particular freedom didn't come about in a really popular way in terms of what we all might have wanted it to be, but it came about in a way that was entirely perfect. There was no overkill, there was no underkill. The Americans that went over there and were caught up in it were part of that Vietnamese process thousands of years ago. And even though they were born in America this life, they were pulled back there to complete their karma also. And those who went through the war unharmed were not part of the process and came home safely. So how can that action be judged as wrong? Now you can say, based on what I'm seeing right now, I don't like it, and they are fighting and killing each other, and I can't do much about it from my room here, and being righteously indignant won't help. So I think I'll just go within to the peaceful place and stay centered. Then when everyone else is running around in chaos, emotionally and physically, I'll be able to assist them because I'll be calm. In the midst of confusion and chaos, it is always helpful to have people who are centered and calm. It's nice to be able to suspend judgment to say, I don't know what's going on, and I'm not going to decide what is right and what is wrong. But when it's all over, I'll do what I can to assist those people who have become involved in the turmoil. It's nice to just assist, not to punish or attempt to make anyone see any particular point of view. It helps just to lift people and give them the vision of unity and brotherhood and oneness. Can you read the future? And the interviewer says no. And Jair says, right. And it hasn't stopped one thing that's going to happen for you in the future. I really look at that, and you don't have to believe that. You know, that that's just what JR, how he saw it in terms of the karma that was being fulfilled. And to look at that and go, hey, is it, you know, is it wrong that all of a sudden they're free of whatever that karma was? I mean, that could be a great blessing. Now, a very, on a personal level, on a seeing that kind of, death and and harm being done is extremely difficult to see that perspective. Uh, But then we look at today, and I think that last part was really the key. It, it It was the key, which is you move into that calm place. I spent time with, and I actually interviewed uh, Siri, who was on the show many moons ago. He's a medic. And um, he had seen and been through a lot of really rough situations um, in the area that he was a medic, including uh, being, a, being in that function in the Middle East during the wars. And, you know, one of the things that, that I noticed in his, um, in how he worked is when there was difficult things when there was uh, things that were traumatic that were hectic that were chaotic going on um, is the moving just this habitual place of moving into slowing down and to being calm and just being matter of fact about what was going on and I think that that's something that 
if we look from a spiritual level, if we can move into that center inside of us more and more as what's taking place in the world is going on, and we suspend our judgment of this is right and this is wrong and these people are right and these people are wrong and these people are idiots and these people are horrible and and we just take the time to move into that place beyond the chaos of those kind of recriminations and pointing of fingers where we move into the place where we are going to be the one, we're going to be the adult in the room. We're going to be the one who is maintaining the integrity of our own truth and our own calmness and our own maintenance towards that place inside where there is peace. So that regardless of what is going on in the world, we're not there to decide what's right and what's wrong. Because maybe there is something at play that is perfect, that is clearing the karma. And maybe... And that's the other thing. We all have our personal karma. So maybe our karma is to be involved in that. And maybe our karma is to be involved in one side or the other side. Um, And that's something to look at too. And even though we may be involved in that karma, there's still an opportunity as we're working through that karma to maintain that transcendent consciousness. And sometimes there are those from what I've seen where there's, two different sides of, let's say, a war, and there are those on both sides that have that attunement to that transcendent consciousness and are holding the energy as the karma on each side of, of, uh, of a certain war or a certain conflict, where there's people on each side that are holding that energy as this karma gets worked out by those who need to work it out so that that comes to completion. And sometimes the spiritual action is to be on one side of the action, and so we may have karma in that, or we may just be on one side or the other holding in that. But even in all of that, we can choose to tap in to that source within us that is beyond all of our opinions and all of our thoughts, and move into that direct line of energy, maintain that, and from that perspective, go, hey, I'm going to be here to help pick up the pieces. I'm going to be here not to punish people for creating this mess, but for assisting them in cleaning up the mess. I'm just here as a garbage man. I'm just here helping clean up the mess and help restore people's in- dignity, integrity, And we do that through that compassionate process, through understanding, through acceptance, and through our enthusiasm, which is that energy of God, of the abundance and viewing the abundance of life, even in the midst of seemingly less than abundance. Let's go more fully into... Um, these ideas of, of punishment versus compassion, of collectivism, totalitarianism, orthodoxy. Um, as we get more into the weeds, it's one of those things for me to navigate this in a way where I my intention is to give you the information clean and to share with you from the integrity of 
how I am seeing these things and my risk in going further into the details of what's going on is that my karma can start filtering how I see things. And I recognize that. And so it really does become, which I'll get to later, check it out for yourself. Don't believe anything anyone tells you just because they say it or just because it's written. This is something I I definitely grew up on Star Wars and the, the Rebel Alliance and my little inner rebel and my little inner pirate, especially now that I'm living in the Caribbean. I definitely have always had that that questioning and something that another Steve Jobs quote, of course, it's better to be a pirate than to join the Navy. Uh, and that's something that definitely resonates with me. But even though I have that view and I have that kind of tendency, I'm, I'm doing my best here to keep this clean. So as I said, we're going to talk about checking it out. And there's something about that. There's something about questioning what is taking place and questioning what you're being told. And that includes questioning anything. And that, that's something that my teacher, John Roger, you know, he used to say, check it out. Like, that's a big thing. Don't leave your brains at the door. And that included anything he would say. It's like, you are responsible. You are completely responsible to check out for yourself what resonates is true for you and what is best for you in your life. And that is something that's really important. And one of those ways to check things out is to question, to look at, especially with what's going on today. You can read things, you can hear experts, but question, what are, what are their incentives? If you understand human nature, uh, we tend to be swayed in how we see things by what we're incentivized to see, you know, financially or in other ways through power, what's the motivation of those authorities, those experts, and questioning the, the main narratives of the day because truth holds up to questioning. Truth does not need defending. Truth is innately immune when it's honestly tested. And that's one of those things of censorship ends up having the opposite of what it may be intended for. And shaming people has the opposite uh, results of what people may be intending. And personal attacks do too. Because then as people feel attacked or shamed or censored, they move into defensive posture inside of themselves. And it creates a distrust. Buddha new to check things out. Uh, Let's look at that quote. Buddha says, Believe nothing, no matter where you read it, or who said it, no matter if I have said it, unless it agrees with your own reason and your own common sense. You know, this is something that I feel that needs to be put out there is that it's okay to check things out for yourself. It's okay to question. It is okay. And even if you look at the the biblically, in Matthew, there's this parable or story of the wheats and the tares, the wheats and the weeds, and how a farmer planted his good seed 
in the good soil, and then his enemy came and planted a bunch of weeds, and the people came to the, the farmer and said, hey, what do we do? And he's like, well, if you pull out the weeds now, you're probably, you're probably going to also pull out the good wheat, the good plants with those weeds. So let them all grow up, and then we'll take the weeds out when we harvest, and we'll burn them. And I think that that, in a way, to me, in the way I'm going to interpret it right now, because everyone else gets to interpret it how they like to, so I do too, is that you know when you have truth and lies and you have all of this together, rather than trying to take out and censor lies, if you look at it that way, it's better to let it all grow because it will be separated in the results. And the truth does stand up. And, and the truth is much more powerful than those lies. And I'm going to read something from Viktor Frankl now. Unlike an animal, man is not told by drives and instincts what he must do. And in contrast to man in former times, he is no longer told by traditions and values what he should do. Now, knowing neither what he must do nor what he should do, he sometimes does not even know what he basically wishes to do. Instead, he wishes to do what other people do, which is conformism, or he does what other people wish him to do, which is totalitarianism. And then in a Bertrand Russell quote, collective fear stimulates herd instinct and tends to produce ferocity towards those who are not regarded as members of the herd. And I think that that's a lot of what we're seeing right now in this world is there is this, there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of fear being promoted in how things are being discussed and how the information is being presented. And as I've talked about before in that episode on totalitarianism and spiritual fascism, this, this fear triggers different parts of our brain, parts of our consciousness, which as we give energy to things, we create more of that. And so if we want more joy and peace, we need to focus on that. If we focus on the fear, we create more of that. And what is the solution, though? And, and that's the one thing. I mean, I've, I've shared with you uh, how I'm seeing things, but you get to choose. And the solution, the great news about this is even if you don't believe or see it the same way as me, the solution is still very much applicable and still, to me, is very much the same. So to share, I'm going to share from John Rogers' book, Timeless Wisdoms, there's a quote in here that to me describes the solution of the times that we're in because there is a lot of punishment going on. There's a lot of um, disturbance. There's a lot of conflict and there's just so much againstness. And to me, that's something that we can all see no matter whether whose fault we believe it is that we all believe it's somebody else's fault. But we can take responsibility for ourselves and choose not to enter into the againstness. And so I'm going to read a quote from this book, Timeless Wisdoms, which, by the way, it's always really nice to have someone that you respect and care about acknowledge you. And um, in the acknowledgments of this book, because I helped JR with this book, uh, he wrote right out, first out, my thanks to Nat Sharat for 
running by me everything involved with timeless wisdom so I could do it. And I'm so grateful for his acknowledgement. It means a lot to me. And we did do this book. I really helped him with it because at the time he was having some health challenges, but we still did it and got it out there. So he says, don't plan on there being no conflict in your life. Conflict can exist within peace, but you don't have to have againstness about it. You can say, I disagree with that and that whole approach. I was there and I didn't see that. That's a form of conflict, but it's not againstness. Againstness is more like, you stupid idiot, I was there. I know what was going on. Wake up. That's againstness. And you don't get to the road of peace and love and joy by traveling the path of lust and anger and revenge. So whenever you hear of any negativity, instead of adding to it by condemning the people involved, send light and love to everyone, even those who have, quote, messed up, unquote. Start adding peace to the situation through your compassion, acceptance, and understanding. And as you bring yourself into loving consciousness with all things and with the one consciousness that is everywhere, peace and harmony will unfold your heart and you will recognize within every level of your beingness that there is only love. I think that that's an incredibly important solution that we can have conflict, we can disagree. We can say, hey, look, this is what's true for me. And to me, that's a big part of it, is that that personal integrity of going with the truth as you know it, as a heartfelt response with care and consideration for all. And that's JR's definition that I'm using of integrity. And as we move into that place of truth within us, as we choose to act from that place within us, as we maintain that integrity, it allows for the conflict without there being againstness, without us moving into blaming, without us moving into revenge or punishment, where we can maintain our peace and our inner peace and our caring and compassion for others, even though we stand in what is true for us. And I'm going to refer back to Sign of the Times again, that earlier J.R. book that I was reading from about the Vietnam situation, the Vietnam War. And so here is this part. There is a process inside of us that's something like the right-wrong game. This is right, this is wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. There's judgment of content and intent, and there's an emotional quality with all of that that's not very productive. But if you say, I'm right for myself on this issue, then you have not made the other person wrong. You've declared your position and your direction and your intent without involving the other person. If they ask if they are wrong, you tell them that they have to make those decisions for themselves. You decide only for yourself. And I think that's extremely important right now, is that it's okay to move with the personal integrity. And, you know, there's even room for that in lying, and I know that's a crazy statement to some people that they're like, well, lying's wrong. Well, no, it's not. Uh, not the way I see it. Lying is lying. Just it's best not to lie to yourself. But there are instances, and we can look at throughout history, and, and I'll take an extreme example. 
um, when the Nazis came to your door and you were hiding some Jewish people in your house and you lied to them about it, was that wrong or right? Uh, you know, in, in terms of like if you were hiding and helping slaves in America's past who had run away to help them get free and get to the north and you lied to authorities and you were doing illegal things, was that right or was that wrong? Well, for those people, it was in their integrity to lie to the authorities to do what was necessary to help others. So in extreme environments, really understanding what your integrity is is an important thing. And it's important to get into that place inside of you that is true. And that goes, that integrity goes beyond morals. And that goes beyond legalities as well. So that's something as we go through this time period that it's extremely important, at least for me in my life, to maintain and do my best. And do we do I always live up to that? No, it's it's a guiding light, it's a star that I'm moving towards. And when I get off track, I realign with that and I move towards it. And I continuously do that. And one of those areas to maintain the integrity is in health, in our health choices. Now, JR defined health as loving who you are. And I think that's a great basis point, is to start that process of, of bringing that loving energy into any areas where there is distress and disturbance. Um, and that can be through simple act of just breathing into it and anyone who's had like a, a massage or something where there's a lot of pain being inflicted it seems by someone who's supposedly massaging you which is supposed to be nice <laughs> but where you're working through uh, some of these blockages in in your body that breathing into it can be extremely helpful and so you can really look at that as a starting point and focusing on health you know not focusing on disease that's one of the things we we get what we focus on so there's just so much right now so much of our world focused on disease and you know one of the things i've i've lived a very alternative life in terms of health it, i've been very exposed to both the allopathic, the Western medicine, and I've dealt a lot with that in my life, and I've also dealt with a lot of alternative and new treatments and things that things that are outside of that mainstream view and are considered heretical, uh, especially in this day and age. And one of those, so there's a few stories. Uh, I'll start with one. And one of the stories is when JR, when I was starting back in the late 90s to work for JR, um, right before I came on to work on his staff with him directly and to travel and, and work with him, he let me know about him having prostate cancer. And at the time, it was the solutions uh, in medicine were, in terms of surgery, uh, were much more, there was much more risk 
to consequences, negative consequences to those surgeries back then were far greater than they are today. And he, JR, decided to opt into a different approach to dealing with that prostate cancer. You know, he was told to do the traditional methods, and, you know, the surgeon said to cut, and he wasn't willing to go that route. And so he went to a clinic in Switzerland that was doing very alternative things like uh, working with meridians, pulling teeth uh, that had, you know, metals and things like that in it. And also they were injecting, I don't remember, I wasn't on the trip with him, but I think it may have been saw palmetto and maybe other things uh, directly into the prostate. Maybe, I don't remember, it could have been like uh, milk thistle or, or what's the kissing one where you, you're at Christmas, mistletoe. Yeah, there was some something, I don't know. I, I don't take my word for exactly what was being injected, but let's just say it was extremely alternative. Um, and it was being injected directly into his prostate. And one of the stories he told me at the time, because we were in contact at the time, um, and we talk about it, is that when they do that, when they take this needle and put it into his prostate, which I'm sure from what I heard was a very unpleasant experience, that he would start singing Moon River, which was a reference to an old Chevy Chase, an old comedian uh, that some of you may remember, where he was getting a prostate exam by a doctor, and and when the doctor did that, uh, he started singing Moon River in the song Moon River um, in that comedy. And so, of course, Jerry was making light of a situation, and I mean, cancer, you know, and at the time it was a serious situation, but Jerry was having a good time with it, making light of it, laughing, joking around with it, and I'm sure it was also very unpleasant, but that was my experience of Jerry, is that even in the unpleasant times, and even in the difficult times, and even personally unpleasant to him, and painful, that he would make a joke. He would laugh about it. He would be lighthearted about it. And I think that that's something that we can all take right now. And we can start making jokes about what's going on in the world with coronavirus, with COVID. You know, we don't have to be so serious about it. And I know that may ruffle some feathers to say that because, you know, um, people get very emotionally worked up, but it, it actually is really good for your health to laugh. It's really good for your health to view things with a, a more lighthearted approach because it's not going to make them uh, more severe. It's not going to make the situation more severe to laugh at it. It actually gives it less power and less energy. And so that's something, and lo and behold, all these alternative treatments, which were at the time, you know, and probably still today, according to Western medicine, were crazy. Uh, it worked. He didn't. It brought down his prostate cancer, and uh, he may have died with it. We don't know, but like he never died from it. That's for sure. He lived decades more, many years, and and decades more, and um, never had that an issue with that cancer coming back or spreading or anything like that. So it worked. And that's a very alternative approach. So that that's one experience, just one of so many experiences that 
I've been exposed to and information I've been exposed to. The other was when JR fell down uh, later on, a flight of stairs hit his eye, and because he had had uh, an eye surgery, his eye was much was weaker, so that when the impact happened, it exploded his eye. Uh, it was he had had it wasn't radial keratotomy it was um hexagonal keratotomy i think anyway he, whatever it was on his eye it, it compromised the strength of it and so then it ex- it basically exploded and lost the eye pressure and was very low and the doctors at the time in the emergency surgery situation they started out by discussing what kind of glass eye he might want to get and we had not agreed, those of us who were responsible for him and his body had not agreed, and nor had he, uh, to removing the eye. And in fact, we fought that. We got our own doctors involved and people who knew JR and cared about JR, and they overruled the other doctor. So right there, I mean, if you're going to, you know, doctors don't always agree. And just because somebody's an expert and doesn't necessarily mean and and as i go through this story you're going to find that experts can be wrong and experts can be challenged by other experts um and that that's actually very important and so that's something that happened so then that initial surgery we were able to have them just do some basic repairs to at least keep the eye for the moment before we could find the best eye surgeons that we could find that might be able to help him and so we overruled the doctor and the the original doctor and got doctors who were willing to take the chance. But had we not, they would have just taken out his eye. And that's one thing that when it comes to medical, when it comes to your health, you need to ask questions. You need to challenge the doctors. You need to challenge authority. You, if it's someone you care about, you need to get second opinions. I always recommend second opinions because contrary to what the mainstream narrative is these days, experts do not agree. And that is part of science. That is part of the scientific process. In fact, that is what science is, is to look at what the the narrative, what the belief system is, what the the truth is of today, and challenge that and find something that becomes the new truth. I mean, that's been the progress of science throughout history. So it's something that's extremely important. And so that's something that once once that eye got kind of repaired, and then later on we started going to different the best eye surgeons we got into the best eye surgeon and he's like there's no way you have to take it out it's got to go there's there's no repairing this and we weren't it was demoralizing but we weren't willing to take that as an answer and so we went from that one and left him and said you know what he's not the doctor for us now we could have said well he's the great expert in the field so he should be the one to tell us, you know, what do we know? We're not doctors. He obviously knows way more than us and has seen way more of these cases than we have. So who are we to disagree with someone of such prominence who's running a department at like a very, very big and prestigious place? And um, who are we without doctor degrees in, in ophthalmology or 
or anything to do with eyes, who are we to disagree with this person? Let's just listen to him. No, that's not how we proceeded. That's not how we handled it. We went and we went to other eye doctors and we finally found these amazing, they were amazing in their, in their bedside manner and in their countenance and in how they discussed things with us on a very human level, um, in a very caring way. And that was the doctors at, at, at USC School of Medicine. It was Dr. Chang and Dr. Song and one was a corneal specialist and the other was a retinal specialist. And at the time they, our first meeting, which I believe was just with Dr. Chang, he gave a very similar prognosis to the others, but he was very kind about it, very caring. And then we went home. It still was like, "Mm, we're not sure that we really want to do this, but he seems like a really stand up guy. And the next morning we got a call from him and he's like, you know, look, we, him and Dr. Song and their team, they had been doing, they'd been experimenting uh, with this new way of doing eye surgery, which was counter to what they learned in the textbooks. And they'd only done it on uh, animal eyes, on, I think, pig eyes, maybe a monkey eye. And they, they were in research with it and they'd never done it on a human but they had gotten good results in the tests that they were doing. And if we were basically willing to give it a shot, if Jer was willing to give it a shot, that they would do it on him and that they would do this procedure, which uh, wasn't what was called for by all the textbooks and actually was contrary to what the common belief was at the time. And so we said, sure, of course we're going to do this. Jair was for it, and all of us were for it, those who um, were responsible for helping him and and taking care of these things. So they did the surgery that they hadn't done on a human before, and it worked. And, you know, the damage was extensive, so it brought back, we were able to get back the pressure in his eye. He was able to see light and dark um, and movement. And so that was, according to us, a success because we didn't have to get rid of the eye. And all that's to say, as an example of just things that I've experienced in my life, where, you know, we questioned the experts, we questioned the narrative, and we found people who were doing things which were outside of what was normally known at the time. And that's really... Uh, how science progresses is people willing to look outside of the box. And so just as you're looking at what's going around us about health today, science isn't meant to be religious. It's not meant to be there's one truth. There's one, it's not an orthodox science. You know, it's, uh, it's supposed to be something that is testing boundaries and testing what is known. Um, and there's actually a great quote on that I like to, would like to apply to this by Benjamin Franklin. If I can look it up here for a minute. And that is, without freedom of thought, there can be no such thing as wisdom. And so this freedom of uh, looking at things differently, and that includes with what's going on with COVID-19, with the coronavirus, and how how people are even looking at disease, looking at viruses, because you know what? There may be someone in the scientific community who 
looks at things differently, makes a different discovery that totally turns on the head everything we've known about viruses, about disease, and becomes the orthodoxy of tomorrow. But these things can happen. Um, so if we, if we don't allow for that freedom of discussion and debate, and then you cool this progress of what might be a better way of doing things, which we might totally miss, someone may find that the the best solution to everything going on from a health perspective and we could miss it because it just gets uh, censored or it's politically not viable or it's not gonna it's not gonna be something that makes enough money for certain people so like that's something to keep in mind as you're looking at things as you're supporting things is to look at like well there a diversity of scientific thought is something that's good because as i said before you know the truth will it does win out in the end in in a long enough time frame at least that's what i i that's how i choose to look at the world um and another thing is really if what we focus on that's what we attract to us. If you are just focused on disease and preventing disease, you're not focused on health. Those are two very different things. Focusing on preventing disease would actually create this almost fighting dynamic. Like you're trying to fight a virus. You're trying to fight disease. You're trying to prevent it. it it's a fear-based model versus actually standing for health and choosing for health and focusing on those things that will make you healthy because one of the things and i'm sure someone has said this but you can have money you can have wealth but if you don't have your health you don't get to enjoy any of that focusing on more of what you want is something i highly encourage i highly encourage you as much as you can to stop focusing on disease and viruses, stop focusing on trying to prevent that even, and start focusing on what can we do to build your own health, your own system, so that you, if you're living life, you're living it from a very healthy way. And that includes mental health. And I think even Plato mentioned something about that back in the day that, you know, you can't divorce uh, mental health. Well, actually, let me just look for that quote. Hold on a sec. Okay, so here it is. The greatest mistake physicians make is that they attempt to cure the body without attempting to cure the mind, yet the mind and body are one and should not be treated separately. And then I also found another quote by Seneca while I was looking for that one, which is, there are more things to alarm us than to harm us, and we suffer more often in apprehension than in reality. It really is true that like you really need to, that health includes your mental health, your well-being, uh, mentally, emotionally, that connection with spirit, and physically. And that includes physical exercise, physical movement, what you're putting into your body, and what you're detoxifying from your body. And I've done podcasts on health and on how to really, the framework for viewing health and for focusing on health. And, and that, to me, is a positive message. It's a positive message of really moving in and, and researching those things and finding those things which are going to create greater health for you. Because, you know, if you're in the midst of a situation that 
is a, a health crisis in the world. And now we have multiple health crises. Uh, we have mental health crisis as well. And this is something that based on how we've responded to the physical health crisis and and there's even more physical health crisis. And as we continue to uh, focus on disease and, and health crises, we're going to probably create more of them. But if you decide for yourself that you know, you're not going to focus on that. You're going to focus on your health and well-being and making choices that benefit that regardless of what anyone else thinks of you, that that is a positive and hopeful message because it's something that you can do for yourself. And it's a much better life to be healthy and to continuously go. And health is a direction. It's not an end point. Health is a direction. It's a direction that we travel we're either traveling on a healthy pathway or we're traveling on an unhealthy pathway. And a lot of that is what we focus on and that is determining where we're going. And so that brings us into the, the final part of this, which is about living life, about transcending, and about being of service. Um, and there's a quote, I'm going to go back to Ecclesiastes in the Bible which had that part about, and this is actually right after that part about the cycles, about there's a time for everything. I've decided that there's nothing better to do than go ahead and have a good time and get the most we can out of life. That's it. Eat, drink, and make the most of your job. It's God's gift. Amen. That's, <laughs> that's what I want to say to that. Like, enjoy life. You have, and like we said before, this life is so quick. Life goes by so fast that enjoy each moment. And that is a choice. And that is something that we all get to choose to do. And I am going to uh, read to you a Oscar Wilde quote. To live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people exist. That is all. So don't just exist. Life is a blink of the eye. Love it fully. Live it fully. Enjoy it fully. Something that I really encourage and, and to focus on, and I know that there's a lot going on in this world, and we've kind of gone through it. We've gone into the weeds uh, of it. We've talked about the karma of it. We've talked about the transcendence. We've talked about being compassionate, and that the opportunity is even in the midst of the conflict, even in the midst of the disagreement, to have compassion for each other and to choose what is true for you and allow others to choose what is right for them. But if you really, really want to change the world, it really is simple. You've got to start by going inside. And that was, we talked at the very beginning, I used that Khalil Gibran quote from the prophet, which was about releasing the chains and those things that that are enslaving you inside of you so that you can have that freedom outside of you because this world truly is a reflection of our own inner attitudes and our own views of the world and if you shift that inside of you it doesn't matter what's going on outside of you and that's the process this is an amazing time period where you can choose to stand up in the integrity of who you are 
and to go inside and to choose that loving essence once again. And really, it's so simple. You chant those sacred tones. You chant the sacred names of God. I've talked about this in other episodes, that process of doing spiritual exercises, of attuning to that place inside of you where it's even beyond truth. It is just that eternal existence that is who you truly are. It is that divine essence. We call it the soul. It's that tapping into that pure, unadulterated innocence, that place inside of you where it is the origin of all. It is the original intent of God. And writing on that light and sound into God, into the heart of God, on that sound current and connecting to that essence within you and then allowing that to move out from you. You don't even have to allow it. As soon as you're tapped into that, it automatically moves out and touches all those who you come in contact with. But to do this, as you go inside to this place, and this is the beauty, you have to disregard everything I've said here. You have to disregard all of your opinions. You have to disregard all of your points of view. And so do I. Anything I've said here, anything that I view, anything that's personal to me, any positions, any attachments to these psychic material levels, you've got to drop them. I mean, Jesus even talked about it, about the camel going through the eye of the needle. Well, what that was in reference to is there was a gate in Jerusalem. I believe it was in Jerusalem, but there was a gate through the walls. And in order for the camel to get through that gate, you had to take everything off of the camel. And it was for security purposes, but you had to take everything off of the camel. And you had, and the camel, I think, even had to like get on its knees or something and kind of crawl through to get through this gate. And so that was in reference to having to let go of all the attachments and possessions and things that we carry in this world so that we can move through and get into that kingdom of heaven. And you can do that. You don't have to die to do that. You can do that right now. You can move into that place. And in order to do that, you disregard all of your points of view, all of your political leanings, what side you're on on any of these issues. You really just got to let it go to move into that place where even your attachment to being free, even your attachment to being safe, any of your attachments in this world, and that's what Khalil Gibran was speaking to, you've got to let them go because you can't have freedom until you do that. And that's how you move inside. You let all of that go. You tune to that energy. And that is the only way to truly change anything in this world is through using that energy. I'm going to end this episode with a couple more quotes. So the first one is from Lincoln, and he says, It is said an Eastern monarch once charged his wise men to invent him a sentence to be ever in view, and which should be true and appropriate in all times and situations. They presented him with the words, and this too shall pass away. That is so important as we go through these times to have that perspective 
that this will pass too, that this will change, that all things change. And that is the blessing. And that also is when you're having a good time and you're having joy and you're experiencing that, that can, those situations that you're experiencing, those may change too. And other situations, all things change. This is extremely important, especially during this time, is to remember that, that this too shall pass and to move into that consciousness because it helps us to have less attachment because we know that all things change. And to end this, I'm going to quote James Brown because I think this is the way to end it. And that is, thank God for the journey. God bless you all. Until next time. Yourself, come on, let it be, cause I'm free.